Hi, my name is Zara. And my name is Maisha. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Deezer, and on Podacy. And you can follow us on Instagram at, at That's What They Said Podcast, on Twitter at, at What They Said CA, and on Podacy at Oh, that's what they said. So, Maisha, how are you doing? I'm as good as one can be, given the new reality. And, you know, work's been busy. But, yeah, no complaints. Yeah, same here. Every day there's bad news. Yeah. COVID-19 is still a thing. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. But trying to survive. Mm-hmm. The good news is we're back here once again after a long time. Seems like that's kind of been a trend in 2020 for us. But... Yeah, we haven't been very regular because obviously with COVID-19 still being a reality, we've kind of been really busy and just getting ourselves together and really trying to keep our mental health in check. Our last episode was actually about mental health in the times of COVID-19 and we hope that it helped you guys if you've had a tough time during the pandemic or at least it kind of informed you about some of the unknown mental health effects that may be vulnerable or less talked about group space. Mm-hmm. And before we dive into our episode today, we just want to remind everyone that COVID-19 is still uh, real. Um, it is still a pandemic. Um, as of in the last 24 hours, 174,000 cases have been recorded worldwide um, with a total of 8.6 million cases to this date uh, since COVID-19 first started. Um, we'd urge everyone to please follow the guidelines, keep washing your hands regularly, you know, socially be physical, follow physical distancing protocols, uh, limit your trips outside and, and, you know, try keeping your social pods small and wear masks and follow your mm-hmm. government wherever you are, your city, state, country guidelines in order to make sure that we can curb the spread because, the pandemic is spreading in a lot of other parts of the world. Uh, the center of the pandemic is currently now in South America. So we cannot be taking it lightly just because, you know, maybe, for example, in our case in Canada, it is much less right now, the number of infections. And we're thankful for the government, for, thankful for that. We're thankful to the government for that. But we still have to make sure that we follow the guidelines. Sure. So now moving to our episode today, uh, we're actually recording on June 19th, uh, which is also known as June t- Juneteenth, mm-hmm. um, the day that 155 years ago, the last enslaved black people in Texas were freed. And we'll talk a lot more about that uh, in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So as many of you know, there's been a lot of events going on, especially around the Black Lives Movement. Uh, COVID-19 has almost kind of taken a backseat because there's so much racial inequality that's come to light. And it's important that we all talk about it um, and we acknowledge what's happening. So what's really been happening is that the murder of Ahmad Abari, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd has happened over a short span of time, has sparked protests worldwide against police brutality towards Black people. And it's kind of brought light to the overall racism towards Black people all over the United States and actually all over the world. And the main thing that has come out of this is George Floyd's murder that kind of sparked or triggered this awakening in everybody. Something Mm -hmm. that's been happening for hundreds of years. And when I say that, I mean racism and police brutality as well as injustice towards black people. Something that's been happening for hundreds of years was almost exposed to this nine minute Mm -hmm. video. And because, you know, we literally watch a man die in that video. It's, 
it's so heartbreaking to see and it's just unbelievable almost for many people because they had the privilege of not thinking that this was a reality but the truth is it's not that unbelievable it's something that's been happening for so long it's nothing new and the reason that it's not new is because there's this deep-rooted history of racial injustice against black people that has allowed racism to keep going and keep progressing in the form of police brutality and it's allowed it to go on for so long mm-hmm. the main thing with this video is that it's really made us and as when i say us i say white people as well as non-black people of color it's forced us to recognize that anti-blackness that it's not just the exaggeration that you see on the media that people each, that each side is kind of um, making making it like mm-hmm. yeah just it's it's not exaggerated it's real it's it's definitely real and for us asian americans my and i are asian americans for us what really hit home for us was seeing the asian american cop tao seeing him standing next to derek chauvin who's putting his knee on george floyd and seeing him just stand there complicit right and i think it really hit home for many of us non-black people of color and mm-hmm. maybe we haven't been vocal enough up until now maybe we should have done more all this time but right now there's no denying that we just cannot stay silent anymore mm-hmm. and i think um i think the killing of george floyd the cold blooded murder of george mm-hmm. floyd for 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 many white people it has forced them to recognize their privilege it's sort of like you know it's it's one of those things that everybody knew white privilege was there but i think for a lot of white people it's to sort of recognize it and realize how blatant and how the audacity of your privilege that allows a person to do that you know for nine minutes and kill mm-hmm. someone so to face the reality that we are part of a system that was created by you and by you i mean white people and the, a system that favors them and i think for other non-black people of color such as us south asians um we think we are recognizing that we can no longer be a bystander you know we have to stand up and we have to fight against this racism that black people are facing mm-hmm. um we have to recognize our own anti-blackness and implicit bias within our you know communities that contributes to that you know that contributes in an indirect or direct way to this systemic Uh, oppression of black people to continue and be perpetuated over time um and i think that we have to recognize where we have fallen short because only if we recognize that we can make the amends and make the effort to be better to be better tomorrow yeah after um weeks of protests in the last few weeks, I think everyone is aware, and all of the social media awareness that has been going around, um, police brutality against the Black community, uh, especially in the United States, continues. And this is exemplified by the murder of Rayshard Brooks. Um, If you don't know about it, it's just another case of how a Black man had to die, once again, Mm. um, uh, by a shooting, essentially. For, for the simplest of reasons. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this demonstrates the ingrained bias against Black people within the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that you say bystander. That's a good word, mm-hmm. I think, to kind of describe where we're all yeah. at. We've let this go on for so long as bystanders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the purpose of our episode today, uh, when we say the word minorities, we're going to be referring to Black, Indigenous, and people of color. You know, mm-hmm. Maisha and I are both South Asian immigrants and we're minorities in Canada. And we've both also lived in Bangladesh, so we have both sides of that perspective, and that's kind of where our experience is going to come from. And on top of that, I lived in New York for a huge chunk of my life, so I think I've I've seen the racism against Black people, and yeah. especially the ingrained racism within the South Asian community against Black people in America. I've kind of seen that firsthand. I've lived it. Um, I don't know the experiences of Black people, but I've seen 
pronounce it unfortunately as a bystander like you were saying Maisha but that's kind of where our experiences and our like our understanding of it is coming from but yeah it's whatever our experiences are we really just want to focus on supporting black people during this time and um to you know to Zara's point, when she, as she mentioned that she spent a significant amount of her time in her of her life in New York, um, I think Zara, because you were mentioning before when we were you know before we were started recording how in your school curriculum Juneteenth was not yeah. included. It was the history behind it was not um, uh, really taught to students. Right? No, not at all. Like, or maybe it was, and I don't remember, but it was never taught in a significant way that I still have that memory with me. Like, I know about Emancipation Proclamation. I know about the Thirteenth Amendment. I know about Jim Crow law. I know about civil rights movement, but mm-hmm. I don't. In the years, the ten years of American history that I've taken, I do not remember Juneteenth. And 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 that goes. It might have been it. a footnote. I don't know, but. And I think that that shows that you know, because if Juneteenth is sort of is sort of an it was it was Independence Day for Black people, right? Because that's the yeah. day that even the last person in the United States, the last Black enslaved people, were free. And mm-hmm. to think that everybody in the United States, not even the world, knows Fourth of July is American. Yeah. But you know, a, a huge part of Americans are actually not freed or independent yeah. Fourth of July, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that goes to show that you know there is a lack of edu- lack of awareness, even yeah. in the curriculums surrounding. Oh, for sure. Um, and that 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 feeds into the systemic uh, the system that has been created, which doesn't allow people from a young age to be aware about the oppression and the racism that sure. uh, black people face in this world and in the American society. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, more than anything, we've been taught about the milestones, but not so much about mm-hmm. struggles. Yeah. And speaking of struggle, fact of the matter is, all of us minorities have struggled. You know, we've all been discriminated against in a system that's designed to disadvantage us. We've been stereotyped. We've had these stereotypes used against us, and we've definitely seen our fair share of racism through violence or through any means. You know, but despite that, none of us can comprehend or begin to comprehend the racism, the oppression that Black people, especially Black Americans and Black North Americans have faced, you know? And to understand this, we'll need to go back into history. So we'll just run through quickly a history lesson of oppression of Black people in America. And just keep in mind that this kind of ran parallel to oppression of Black people in Canada. We're not really going into the history of uh, racism in Canada right now, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that's, it's, it's not like it's non-existent here. It's definitely existent. And there's definitely a history behind it as well. History of slavery and everything. Okay, so let's run through a quick history lesson. 12 million people from Africa were sold and traded into slavery or kidnapped from their homes and families during the transatlantic slave trade. And that occurred between the 1500s and 1800s. And, you know, these Africans were the first minority group brought to the New World, I'm saying this in quotations, the New World being America, Canada, and all that. They were brought into this New World in bondage. They were stolen from their land and they were brought to the stolen land of America, you know, and, you know from the indigenous people. To think that they were actually, you know, brought on ships like mm-hmm. like cattle, like livestock, right? Mm-hmm. The way we build in shackles and to be you know, put in a small part of the ship, like hundreds and thousands of them and to be treated like essentially animals as yeah. you transported, you know? So the, the, the denigration of black people and uh, essentially no respect for the, no care of their dignity, right? And mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, anyways. You know, just that, that visual is, is so disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, traded like animals, sold like animals. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were forced to work in the fields and homes of white people who basically treated them like animals, like Masha was mm-hmm. saying. And they, didn't, they were not provided their basic legal rights. 
then as the as anti-slavery sentiment kind of started building up in America, whether it was for political reasons or whether it was for actual ethical reasons, it started building up. And in April 1861, civil war broke out in America. The Emancipation Proclamation, which was a proclamation almost that you will be freed if we win the war, it, it this was, was in 1863. Law. And it yeah. was a law, right? Yeah, yeah. But it didn't mean that it was freedom. It just meant that there's a proclamation that you will be freed if, mm-hmm. if, um, if the Civil War is won, Confederate yeah. slaves will be freed. And then in 1865, 13th Amendment was passed, which would abolish slavery. Mm-hmm. But it was passed in the Congress. It wasn't, it wasn't ratified by the states yet, so it was legalized. And this was all during the Civil War. And then Juneteenth came along on June 19, 1865, exactly 155 years ago. This is when the last slaves in Texas were freed. Uh, also right after the Civil War. And then the 13th Amendment finally was ratified in December of 1985. And that's when slavery was abolished, yeah. or like officially. But even though slavery was abolished and slaves were free, freedom didn't mean equality. You know, Black yeah. people were free, but they didn't have any possessions. They didn't have any land, protection, or even formal education. They didn't have the same rights as white people, definitely not legally and definitely not socially. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, while they didn't have civil rights, such as voting, fair trial, public education, housing, they also didn't have, on the other hand, they didn't have, they were segregated for simple things like public washrooms and um, theaters. Essentially that, that, that mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Because the law changed like, oh, you can't do this. But yeah people's mindset didn't change essentially exactly and they still couldn't vote they still didn't have some basic civil rights right yeah yeah and then there was the minstrel shows which were mocking them there was jim crow laws there was the black codes right after slavery which essentially were like a predated jim crow laws and um just in general the discrimination because of the color of the skin and the segregation that came along with it Mm. so i think i mean that goes to show right that the systemic racism that black people have faced is um even you know it was it was sort of like built like brick by brick right yeah 1865 it's like it was there through different uh, arenas like policy making economic and economic opportunities in so many ways yeah. they were disadvantaged and that systemic racism that black people have faced is even reflected in this COVID-19 pandemic you know yeah. where the virus itself actually doesn't look at race you know um human beings the system that human beings have created is what looks at race. So if you look yeah. at the U.S., uh, Black people in the U.S. are actually in getting infected and dying from COVID-19 at twice the rate as high as their population share, essentially. Mm-hmm. And why is that the case, right? Because one, so to to some some white supremacists would probably argue very stupidly that oh it's because they they're not taking precautions but no that's mm-hmm. not the case no Americans have worse underlying health conditions and it's that's in large part because they're more regularly exposed to health hazards you know than mm. white people um and it, these health disparities are like they're not a, they're not a reflection of your genetics or your behavior no. it's more and the environment the that you're in Exactly. And it's because more of the policies over years, mm-hmm. um, the way, you know, neighborhoods were created. It's like, it turns out that, you know, often uh, black families live in communities with worse air and water quality than white families mm-hmm. do. And yeah. for that to have happened, that actually took, you know, uh, over a hundred years. As yeah. such, and their you know, communities received less funding. They're, they're, they didn't get politicians and police officers and basically civil servants that understood their problems, that exactly. would prioritize exactly. their problems. 
Exactly. So which means that the basic utilities and everything, that's of, of a much lesser quality. So, mm. and the best example of that is that how the fact that residents in Flint, Michigan, which is yeah. a majority black city, um, continue to live with high levels of lead in the water for several years. I mean, I remember when this came out a few years back, there were, there was a lot of chaos, you know, uh, Obama was the president during that time. And, you know, the government tried, you know, taking a lot of initiative, but it kind of died down. I mean, you know, they're still living with water that has a high amount of lead. I know. Yeah. You know, and it probably there's not a lot of attention paid to it because, you know, it's, it's a black community, right? Mm. Um, and for example, black children are also more likely to suffer from asthma due to persistent housing segregation, which restricts tens of millions of black families to overcrowded substandard housing with high rates of exposure to, uh, you know, uh, vehicle pollution, fecal matter from rodent. Yeah infestations and mold spores. So if you really think about it, it's not that African-Americans have worse health, it's because mm-hmm. the system has created, is, is, is created so that they're not able to live, uh, you know, a healthy life. You it's know, they're not like politicians and planners and all these people that are in charge, they don't care enough about these communities. Yeah, They'd exactly. rather pour more money into wealthy communities that can already exactly. sustain themselves rather than support these vulnerable communities and that just goes anywhere right even in bangladesh i think about the lower income communities in the slums like yeah nobody nobody's no one's doing anything about it and then we complain they're dirty they have disease and this and that but it's like why yeah i, I mean think about it, that yeah because they're not inviting the disease and the disease and like COVID 19 doesn't yeah. discriminate based on like what your color of your skin yeah if you're the authority what are you going to do about it yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. That's definitely a thing. So after slavery, segregation, the biggest thing, the biggest fight that African-Americans or Black people had to fight Mm -hmm. was during the civil rights movement. So this started during the late 40s, the 1950s and 1960s um, under the leadership of Martin Luther King Jr. And like I was saying before, after slavery, they still didn't have their civil rights, right? So this movement was essentially to gain those civil rights, to be treated equally on a legal level. It was a social and political movement of protests. There's boycotts, there's social uh, awareness, and this all eventually led to the end of legal discrimination. It led to the desegregation of schools, of public facilities, the right to vote, the Fair Housing Act was provided to prevent yeah. discrimination there. There was the right to fair trials, and just basically more equal opportunity. And yeah. that's that, that was its landmark. It's great, but it's like that's the legal aspect of it. There's still societal and social and racial just injustice that was occurring in yeah. the black community, and yeah. this is essentially what it's meant by systemic oppression and systemic racism. Because like all the examples that you just gave, Maisha, from Flint to um, even COVID nineteen, from the civil rights movement and everything, it's like it's built from day one of them entering America, or not even like being forced to enter America. Everything has been stacked up against them. First, you're not allowed to be I, human. I being. like I like how you actually said forced to enter America because that's that's exactly yeah. what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, now they're trying to drive people out of America. Anyways, <laughs> um, yes, it's like that's exactly what is meant by systemic oppression. Like I see that word around online, maybe a lot of people don't understand it, right? But it's like this is what's systemic. The fact that it was systematically okay to have slaves. It was systematically okay to not give to not have have them allowed to own land, to vote, whatnot. The system might be okay to segregate them. And now you're saying that there's no effect to the systematic oppression for all these years, you systematically prevented them from having the same opportunities and now you're expecting them to start at the same level. The start line is not even the same, right? So the starting line is just so different. So just 
it boggles my mind how people can say that in 2020 everything is the same it's not yeah yeah so yeah go on and I, and I think, you know, how in right now in modern day, some say that, you know, sure, I mean, officially and legally slavery is not there anymore. But I think some say that the prison system in the U.S., right, mm-hmm. like that, that's more modern day slavery, right? Yeah, that's a lot of people do say that because it's like African-American men, especially obviously African-Americans in general, but African-American men, especially they're imprisoned at a higher rate than white men for the same crimes. Their punishments are more severe. And that's also systematic because many a times say um, this example that I heard of once was that uh, black people were into more crack and white men were into more cocaine, but crack was heavily punished as opposed to cocaine. So they would go to jail for a longer time for crack. And because that kind of affects the African-American or the black community more. So it's like, it's like they know that and they give a higher punishment, right? So this thing inside their head is working against black people from day one, right? So, and so that's why people are saying that the prison is modern day slavery because there's more black people in prison. And then there's prison labor at a lower rate. So black men are kind of like forced once again to do labor at cheap rates, aka slavery, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Wow. So you know, and then there's obviously loopholes in the law that um, cause even equality that was granted to not really be granted. There's discrimination in the criminal justice system, housing, education, police brutality, especially like you name it. Uh, there's just so many years of lost opportunities that many black people yeah. have entered a system of poverty and crime and because they've entered this kind of system, we as Americans, as outsiders, as white people, as non-black people of color, we kind of see it from the outside and we're like, oh, black people are more involved in crime. Black people don't go to school as often. Black people are part of this, this, this. And then we kind of develop this idea of what we think black people are, this bias that is like ingrained in us. And and, And it's, and it's ingrained in everybody, you know, like it's ingrained in police, it's ingrained in doctors, lawyers, juries, teachers, local politicians, corporations, and everywhere, essentially. Yeah. And like, these are the people that are supposed to be your leaders, they're supposed to protect yeah. you. And that's why things like this happen. If it's ingrained in the police, his first reaction is going to be, I, he's going to, this is a violent black person, I have to attack him. Or, or the Karen that we're all talking about, the Karen who owns the store, like, oh. in her, like, oh, no, this black person looks suspicious, I'm going to call the police on you. So all these years of systemic oppression and the view that we have of black people have caused us to become like have this bias against them. So yeah. you know, th- this is like the height of ignorance because you know, and it's like it's like we're, we we analyze the data, we look at it on the surface that oh, there are greater number of black people in U.S. prisons than white people, so that means black people must commit more crimes. But mm-hmm. you literally look at the surface of the data, you're not actually analyzing wow. the, the cause behind it, right? Exactly, and I'm, exactly. I, I just, sometimes it baffles me because I'm like, we're in 2020 where the big data and data is everything mm-hmm. and we're trying to crack every code and everything and, you know, data is key yeah. to everything basically. And I'm like, why is there not greater analysis done of this data before you try to blame an entire mm-hmm. Community, and know? if then us is then why isn't that data more available to everyday people yeah because everyday people that are calling the cops on black people right yeah and so i i think that you know to to our to our listeners who might be thinking that well two things one if you're thinking that oh we're, we, we did give you kind of like a little history lesson but that's also because i think in the last few weeks we i think a lot of social media a lot of stuff that we've seen around is that 
for a lot of people, this has been the time that they're finally finding out mm -hmm. a lot of the details and a lot of the history behind the struggle of black people uh, in the United States. So I think that's why we, we, we wanted to give a brief but uh, broad overlook over you know over the entire yeah. thing so that we can sort of like set the premise and give you context as to how they suffer centuries of struggle um mm -hmm. and the second thing that if our listeners are thinking that oh you know like this is an american issue only in the U u.s and you know doesn't apply to other western countries like canada or europe well here's the thing um Western societies, like their perception of what it means to be black, it does not differ significantly from how black people are treated in the United States. Um, because across Western countries, like be Canada, Europe, or Australia, um, and the US, um, how they treat black people is dominated by a few historical events, mainly slavery, the transatlantic slave trade, um, mm -hmm. and colonialism. So if you look at, um, so in African Notes from Black Europe, this is a book by the British writer Johnny Pitts. He says that transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade has played a major role in shaping how race is seen in the West. So what that means is it still sort of is like the uh, foundation for mm -hmm. how a lot of Western societies and Western schools, you know, teach about the struggles of black people right in the world and even if it's on a sort of subconscious level it underpins the hierarchies in western civilization and throughout the world about how they perceive uh people of color and how they perceive black people right if they because mm -hmm. they're learning in history in slavery and colonialism how uh the black people were treated in the transatlantic slave trade or how the brits had colonized mm -hmm. in the indian subcontinent you sort of like form a bias or just yeah. because that's the first time that's how you were getting introduced to those about those communities right yeah yeah and to like kind of bring it closer to home even in canada you know Many people think that Canada doesn't have a racism problem, mm -hmm. but the only difference is that in Canada, people don't talk about racism as much because yeah. they think it's not a big issue, but it is. And in Canada, actually, the annual report of the Federal Office of the Corrections Investigator, they've, they've um, kind of studied it and they've said that the rate of incarceration of Black Canadians is approximately three times that of their proportion of the general Canadian population. But this is despite the fact that data also reveals that black people are no more likely to commit a crime than any other racial group. So it's, it's like, why are they getting incarcerated more than, right? There's clearly something here, an, like an outlying factor that's here, causing this incarceration. Here is that, you know, this, this, when you just look at the data on surface level, I mean, on the surface level, you're just seeing that, oh, black Canadians are three times that of their, you know, in, incarcerated three times out of their population, general Canadian population. If you just look at that number, it does not, it doesn't, you can't draw a conclusion mm -hmm. like to any person who's educated and in this day and age, you just can't, like you can't look at that number and draw a conclusion yeah. about a community. Especially Numbers when you, are dangerous. Sorry? Numbers are dangerous if there's yeah. no information behind it. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's really important that, you know, when we get introduced to data, we really need to look at the causes behind it because the whole point of why we study data and do all yeah. of the big data analysis to find the causes behind things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I guess in this conversation, coming back to, you know, our South Asian community, where do other people, you know, non-Black people of color or minorities, where do we come in? Mm -hmm. So I think the implicit bias, as I mentioned before, uh, we said that, you know, it developed in the minds of all um, non-Black people of color. Um, 
well, it also creeped into the minds of non-Black immigrants who came to the United States. And this argument also extends to if you've come into other Western societies and Western countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be thinking, and you know, a lot of our listeners might be thinking that you know, I'm a person of color to how can I have an implicit bias against Black people? And I think this is where I think the whole concept about model minority myth comes in. Mm-hmm. It's a myth for a reason because we're going to sh- tell you how it's really not accurate. Yeah. And once again, you're going to have to go through another quick history lesson to understand the model minority myth. Mm. I'll try to keep this one brief. But essentially, Chinese laborers were brought into America during the gold rush for mining. And then they were also brought in to work on the transcontinental railroad. Mm-hmm. And once those projects were completed, they began settling in America and they started creating their own Asian communities in, place, in places like San Francisco. And here they worked very low income or low wage jobs. So the sentiment kind of developed against Asians, that they were stealing the jobs from Americans and that their way of life is too different and just this, basically this sentiment against them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were othered. They were essentially othered by Americans who thought like they were stealing their jobs and whatnot. So because of the sentiment developing to stop the laborers from China entering the U.S. any further, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was, um, was put into play and it banned all immigration from China. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. And... Can you, just to think about that, you know, like banning a whole group. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, after that, as Asian immigration grew through the 19th and 20th century, they continue, Asian Americans continue to face discrimination. This is, you know, shown by the violent mob riots against Filipinos in 1920, uh, in West Coast, Japanese internment camps, Japanese Americans being placed in pretty much very similar to concentration camps, uh, but not mm. maybe as severe of torture, but Japanese Americans being placed in internment camps during World War II. And even during COVID-19, uh, a lot of Asian Americans, and this was across, in, in, this was in Canada, as well as in Europe and Australia, a lot of Asian, Asian descent um, citizens yeah. faced a lot of discrimination, a lot of hate from non-Asian. Um, yeah. So yeah, the anti-Asian sentiment is exactly. has been and is still a thing. Yeah. Right, So that kind of banned them from entering the United States. But for political reasons, in 1943, the Chinese Exclusion Act that I just, that I just mentioned in 1882, that was actually repealed, but mostly amid fears of it negatively impacting an allyship that the U.S. had with China in the war yeah. against Imperial Japan, okay. obviously. Yeah. So in place of that, the Immigration Act of 1965 came in, and that's actually in the aftermath of the change that was created by the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Civil Rights Movement, it actually brought attention to the racial oppression that actually exists in America. So this act was um, passed to provide basically mm-hmm. equal rights for, or like allow more diversity into the country. Yeah. So the Immigration Act, it virtually reversed that um, Chinese Exclusion Act and the ban on immigration when it allowed in a specific group of people so it allowed in skilled professionals namely doctors and engineers to immigrate yeah and this is like hugely symbolic i would say because this is the reason that immigrants are able to enter the united states right mm-hmm. and, and it was all done in the aftermath of the civil rights movement which was led by black people yeah and yeah you know that the, the, it paved the way yeah exactly it paved the way and mm. it's like the immigration act you know, it, it, it was extended to all, all Asians who immigrated in the decades afterwards. And uh, it benefited essentially all non-Black people of color, the South mm-hmm. Asians, the Japanese, the Chinese, essentially all Asians, right? Who wanted to 
you know, live the American dream and yeah. an opportunity. So I think the civil, uh, prior to the 1965 Immigration Act, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed. Yeah. And that happened, that was a culmination of almost two decades of civil rights movement that was mm-hmm. led by black leaders, black uh, civil rights activists who mm-hmm. were advocating for equality for black people, advocating for equality for people of color in the United States of America. And because of this 1964 Civil Rights Act, it that law express, expressly banned discrimination in employment based on race. And that was, which essentially means mm-hmm. that had the civil rights movement not happened for immigrants wouldn't have been able to come yeah. and got an equal opportunity in the workplace. Yeah, and then since then, so many different countries, of people from different countries have come into America and they've, they've mm-hmm. done so in different, um, in different times. Yeah. But, you know, this includes the Korean, Cambodian, Laotian, Vietnamese. They saw their biggest immigration numbers in the 1980s and the 1990s. And then in the 2000s for Thai, Filipino, Pakistani immigrants, that was a huge year. And then the biggest decade for Chinese, Indian, Bangladeshi, and Japanese migrants was in the 2010s. And this was all because of that Immigration Act yeah. that was as a result of the civil rights movement that was done by Black people yeah. who have suffered the most. And they've just yeah. paved the way for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, going going back to the, mo- so where does model minority myth come in, right? Yeah. So I think the turning point came with uh, the, a 1966, an, an article written by William Peterson in 1966. The title of the article was Success Story, Japanese American Style. And in that, um, he goes on to say that barely more than 20 years after the end of the wartime camps, this is a minority, and by minority he's referring to Japanese Americans, that has risen above even prejudiced criticism. And then he says, by any criterion of good citizenship, the Japanese Americans are better than any other group in our society, including native-born whites. So this is where the whole concept of model minority came up, because he's yeah. trying to show how, sort of like how Japanese Americans rose up like the phoenix from the ashes of World War II, and, you know, they succeeded. And you know how in the last part he says, compared to any other group, it's sort of like mm-hmm. you're uplifting Japanese Americans, but you're doing that solely so you can directly say that, Black people are not able to, you know, do that, are not able to climb the ladder and succeed, even though they have the same opportunities. You're implying that they, it's, the problem is with them. So essentially, you're trying to deflect the blame from yeah. the system that, you know, sup- oppresses them and rather put the blame on them. Mm-hmm. So that this is where the whole concept of the model minority myth came up. Mm-hmm. And this is where, and I think it's important for people to realize that because this is where the whole idea of a model immigrant, an immigrant who studies well, does their job well, ethical, mm-hmm. hardworking, all of those traits. And break the rules exactly and all of those, trouble yeah and all of those traits are even applicable like even we say we've seen that you know that some you know in social cues and how people say that you know oh you know there's stereotypes mm. you know Asians work hard they study hard and all of that yeah. and this whole model immigrant thing is sort of like they pitch us or they pitch one group against the other yeah. so once again a system that was created by the majority, which in this case is white people, mm-hmm. to sort of uplift one minority group, which was which started with Japanese Americans, to sort of show how they can succeed, and black people couldn't. Yeah, and like I I noted that the last part they said was even more than the native whites. Yeah, like why do you have to put that in there? It's just like now you're saying yes, they've surpassed us, but if they can surpass us, why can't the black people? Why can't mm-hmm. the indigenous people? And it's like it's such a tactic, you know. 
mm-hmm. to create that distance, to create that hatred with two different groups. Yeah. And the truth is this entire model minority myth is bullshit. It's a myth, right? Like Amen. there is no model minority because first of all, like you're saying this article was about Japanese people, but in general, the idea is that the model minority is Asians, right? They put a blanket yeah. term on Asians, but like that's, Asians are a very diverse group of people, you know, like we're, like we're saying, there's Vietnam, there's Cambodia, there's Japan, there's China, there's Korea, there's, we're Asian too, there's India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, like we're such a diverse group of people. And within our groups, we have so much racial inequality in the group, right? Yeah. So to, to first, first of all, to and, put us and, in that. And, and, yeah. and economic inequality within the group as well. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're basically just using it to push an agenda, but like they're not realizing that different Asian groups have different challenges. They have different, um, say, like Chinese immigrants might have come further off than uh, like Vietnamese ones and whatnot. So to say that all Asians are this good, that that first of all, that's just a bad idea because you're erasing the fact that Asians have their own identity as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you're using us as an example to make an example of African Americans who have been here for so long. But that's not a fair comparison because, first of all, they have been here for so long. They were forced here, whereas we came out of our own will or to serve your political agenda or whatever. So the the oppressions and the struggles that they faced for until 18, was it 1965? 1865. No, the Immigration Act. The Immigration Act was 1965. So all the struggles they faced from 1865 to 1965, it's like you're erasing that struggle. You, yeah. like, we're not starting at the same point. We haven't faced the struggles that Black people face. So to say that we've come so far... Is not fair because first of all you brought us you brought in people who are or who are educated essentially right or you brought in skilled skilled immigrants so people that already have reached a certain level of say accomplishment or certain level of skill that they can survive in america once they get here whereas you basically took away the opportunity for many black people to gain certain skills that would help them come out of their situation right so it's not a fair comparison when they're just pitting us against each other and just and, and I, I like how you actually said that, you know, it's not a fair comparison because mm-hmm. you think about it. So black people, I think 16, 16, 19, was it? The first, first yeah. slave ship that came in, yeah. essentially arrived the uh, North America. And then you think that 1943 is when the Chinese Exclusional Act was revoked. Yeah. So Chinese immigration was allowed. So essentially almost 333 years mm-hmm. of, slave, of, uh, of uh, slavery and even it's, doesn't matter 1865 Juneteenth even after that the segregation that they face so essentially yeah. 300 years of being treated as second-class mm-hmm. citizens and, and uh, 200 years and within that 300 years you've got 200 years of slavery right enslavement yeah. so if you think about that and then you think that but then you think that for Asian Americans you were entered you were allowed to come into this country a you you were allowed if you filled certain criteria as you said that yeah. you know skill set like usually higher skilled professionals like doctors and engineers. So you're already coming into this country with a certain amount of knowledge and Mm -hmm. then you're skilled, you're educated, whereas black people came on ships and they were treated like animals for 200 years. And even after they gained freedom for them to even get educated and be successful, like so many battles. So this is, this is not, this is not a fair comparison. Right. It's almost like they're using, they're using the fact that Asian Americans have done so well to justify them oppressing black people more because they think that black people are just not reaching the mark. So like, let's continue to not give them resources because they're not using it anyways. You never gave them the resources. 
exactly and that, yeah. that's that's a great mm-hmm. point you said because there's it's sort of like you're deflecting the blame from you to yeah. say we're not the problem you're they the problem right and and you're essentially and this is you know if you really think about it you know going back to when in the 60s this whole concept of model minority myth was created and even now a lot of right-wing conservatives in the u.s and across the world they believe in it uh what they're doing is as by perpetuating this myth they're creating a racial wedge a wedge Mm -hmm. between minorities because they're pitting asian americans against african americans and across the world they're pitting asians across black people and they're saying oh like uh, black people can't succeed because they can't succeed it's their fault and Asians can't you know but it's not once again it's not a fair comparison and again we both at the end of the day both the minorities are part of a system that is created and controlled and favors the majority which is white people Mm -hmm. and the the weird part is it's like as smart as us Asians are supposed to be according to their model minority myth we're clearly <laughs> dumb and falling for it because we are letting that wedge get created to the point where we believe that we have to we have to be the model minority, right? Like we yeah. are countries where we escaped corruption, we escaped religious persecution, we, we wanted a better opportunity for ourselves in America. So we escaped all that. We've left all the chaos. And now we think we don't want to deal with the chaos of black versus white in America. So we're not going to say anything. Mm. We're not going to get involved and like, oh, as it is, I saw on the news yesterday, this black person created a problem. I know that black group in my neighborhood is creating problem. So like they're, they're just into violence anyway. So why get involved? So like in trying to please America, white America and the ideals that they've set out and be the model minority, we've taken a backseat and let and allowed our yeah. like fellow, our fellow black friends and families and whatnot to just suffer and not do anything about it. Yeah. And and I, that's where, you know, we're, we just become bystanders, we yeah. become spectators, like, like that uh, Asian American cop, like Tao, right? Yeah. Who was standing next to Derek Chauvin as he was shoving his neck, sorry, knee onto George Floyd's neck. I mean, to yeah. think about it, like, he was also a cop, this Asian American, like Mr. Tao, he was also a cop, right? <laughs> yeah. And he, he, you're as equal as Derek Chauvin, the white cop here. You could have turned and pushed him off George Floyd's neck. You mm-hmm. could have done so many things to prevent the death. Why is it that you chose to literally look away and pretend like you can't hear or say anything? Like, why? Yeah. Why did you, like, you know? And that goes to Like, show number that- one, you think it's not your problem. And number two, you probably have it ingrained in your head that Black people from this neighborhood are already troublemakers. So yeah. we're doing the right thing by reprimanding a troublemaker. Yeah. Right? And, that implicit bias. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. like why why do we have this implicit bias? I mean, I mean, and just to like, you know, break it down to like talk about a bit about what implicit bias is, right? For a lot of people, it's like hard to recognize because it's usually sort of like thoughts you have about people you didn't know you had and they're essentially like blind spots like you know when you're driving you have these blind spots and you cannot see what is in your blind spot it's exactly like that the the bias that you have thoughts that you have against black people or any stereotype any negative stereotypes or not just against black people any negative stereotypes for example, if there's a stereotype that Asian people are, you know, are labeled as foreign, right? So implicit bias means that you might have trouble associating even Asian American people with speaking fluent English. Uh, you, you might have trouble associating them, uh, you know, with American citizens, being American citizens. Yeah. Or if you've, if you've picked up on cultural cues that, you know, women are homemakers, uh, it means you might have a harder time con- 
sorry, um, connecting women to powerful roles yeah. in business despite your unconscious bias. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, so it's, it's, it's an unconscious bias or it's in, you know, at a subconscious level and, but your conscious belief is in gender equality. But once again, you can't see what's in your blind spot mm-hmm. and what's in your blind spot is this thing that's telling your mind that, Hey, um, black people go to yeah. in jail so they probably have a criminal tendency you know yeah and the, so that that bias is so ingrained that and as i think especially as immigrants when you come in when you when you come into western society you're so focused uh on you know putting your head down working hard and sort of like going you know just you just want to make it to the finish line whatever you define yeah. that finish line to be right mm-hmm. and you sort of like go have a tunnel vision blinders yeah and so you exactly blinders blinders, on. right mm-hmm. and yeah yeah and the truth of the matter is like South Asians, at least we are all like fucked in the head because of colonialism. And that's where a lot of our anti-black sentiment comes from. Um, you know, colonialism under the British and essentially under white people, it kind of made us see them as see them as in like British white people as superior, as intelligent, they're powerful, they're successful. And they're an example of progressiveness is what we saw it as, you know, they wear fancy clothes, they drink tea, like they play cricket, like they're fancy. They have nice houses, they're progressive. So we just kind of associated with skin color to begin with, like white equals better or white equals greater. And unfortunately, we still suffer from that today in India and Bangladesh and other South Asian, actually even in in other Asian countries as well, there's fairness queens and whatnot. And that's where colorism comes in, which is a huge, huge, huge issue in our part of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. to your point about colorism, right? I mean, nowhere is the struggle of colorism. It is not comparable to the struggles no. of people. But I think it's important for the South Asian community. If you want to, if we, if we, if we as South Asian community want to work on our, want to play a better role in the fight against racism, the fight against systemic racism that Black people face, we first have to identify that within our community, we actually look down, shame those who are darker skin color. We have the prejudice, right? Where we associate dark skin with being uh, at a disadvantage economically, socially, uh, in the social hierarchy. I mean, the whole reason why in India, the caste system exists where you actually place Dalits uh, in the lower caste because, and they're usually dark in color. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so in India, if you are a darker skinned woman, you, it's hard for you to get married. If, if you're a darker skin person, it's hard for you to get a job. So mm-hmm. it's important that we first recognize and why does that bias exist in our head? It's because yeah. we associate, we associate being fair. We associate being white with power because we've seen centuries of white colonists essentially mm-hmm. exerting their power. And because of that, we have this bias in us that, Oh, yeah. you know, heck we even let, we even let white people during colonialism, split our borders we let them ruin our internal relationships yeah colorism is just a part of it but yeah that's definitely a root problem that we all need to recognize when when like talking about this issue it's definitely not the main issue but it's definitely something we need to recognize yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, and i think that it's important that we understand that you know and so because today in our episode we are trying to talk to our south asian community right whether it be uh, the South Asian countries or whether it's the South Asian diaspora in Western societies, we're, we're literally like talking to you here because we want you, we want that we as the South Asian community, we have to understand that how did we, you know, buy into this like whole uh, system, a system mm-hmm. that was created by uh, 
created for the white privilege and you know it's sort of like a rat race right because oh. you're sort of like played like rats and sort of like all of you're running and all of minorities you know mm-hmm. uh, black people indigenous people the other non-black people of color and we sort of like we're so like we're so determined to finish our own like sprint that we don't look that oh black people indigenous people they have their struggles are worse than ours and you know like hey stop running and you know let's give them a hand and so they they can get up and we can help them yeah exactly yeah we've 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 let we've first we've gone ahead with the blinders on and then we've let our implicit bias get the better of us yeah and one of the main ways that our implicit bias kind of translates into action is through microaggressions, which uh, you guys have probably all been seeing microaggressions throughout the internet, but just to give you a quick like lesson on what it is, they're essentially like remarks, questions, or actions that uh, people that people take on, and they're usually painful because they, they have to do with a person's membership in a group, or especially a marginalized group, mm-hmm. and they use it to kind of discriminate against that group based on stereotypes. So they're usually just casual, brief things, but they are painful, and they're and they're just unnecessary, first of all. But yeah, so microaggressions, like my biggest experience with microaggressions, obviously as, as an immigrant, as a person of color as well, I face a lot of microaggressions as well myself, yeah. and I'm sure much of you have too. But um, just from my experience of being in New York and the microaggressions I've seen against the black community, particularly from the South Asian community, it's simple things like, like, an, like someone clutching their purse tightly when they see a black person or crossing the street or changing their seats on a bus. And unfortunately, I've had cousins who've done that, who have changed their, or been like, oh, yo, let's go sit somewhere else because like, what if he does something, right? And it's like so unnecessary. There's no reason to suspect this person because of this bias that you have. These are like some harmful things that you're doing. Did you you ever think like, you know, back then, like why? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think, when I was much younger, I don't think I said anything. I kind of accepted it. But once I started having a mind of my own, like, oh my God, how many fights have I gotten into family members trying to be like, this is so like inappropriate. Like, why are you doing this? There's literally no need for this. That's great that you asked those questions, right? That's that's good. Yeah, because like I grew up with black people in schools. Like they're my equal. I am their equal. Like there's, I never even thought about it. But except from, from my community is where I saw it the most, you know, like, and unfortunately, I've even heard like very close family members be like, oh, she's so pretty for a black person because their idea is to associate all black people with unattractive features, right? Mm-hmm. So to see someone who's attractive, who in their eyes is attractive, they'd be like, oh, wow, that's rare. So they're not associating the entire black population with being attractive, but just yeah. certain, like your specific, your outlier, right? And same thing with you're so articulate because black people do have a specific way of speaking. Like they've developed it throughout years as part of their culture. And because it doesn't fit the whole British or proper or American kind of way of living or way of speaking, it's considered not articulate. So like many black people have probably heard like, oh, you speak so articulate if they have a specific accent or something. Yeah, I'm just like so like tired of this whole narrative Mm -hmm. where any non-white person, you know, has their own accent of speaking English or has their own, (laughs) as long as you understand, but no, it's like, you know, I feel like any non-white person doesn't have the standard English accent or my English accent, accent, but basically like Western English and, um, yeah, every community of every communities of color, even if they have an American accent, they have a certain twang to it because of the community grew up and like it's distinct, right? So it's like, I know so many people have been embarrassed by their specific like accent for no reason. Like now I think people are better with their accents and whatnot, but that is something that's affected many different communities of color. 
yeah, yeah. and and that's also because that it's sort of like oh like the what you just said right like black people you're they know great english and they, by 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 maybe white american standard they know great english so you're so articulate but it's like what was wrong what's wrong with their own english yeah. like as long as you understand yeah, yeah there's nothing you're there's liking nothing wrong with saying you have great vocabulary there's something wrong with associating articulation with with your type of language your language and then looking down on it looking down on another type right yeah yeah and yeah. then like, other examples of microaggressions include say the preference to live in an anti-black community or the preference to have your children avoid friendships with black people you know i've mm-hmm. seen many of my south asian friends their parents tell them like oh don't why are you hanging out with him so much he's a thug like you should you'll get into trouble one day stay yeah. away from him or even if they don't even if they generally like the their son or daughter's black friend they ha- they're worried in their minds that black people are known to get into trouble with the police. What if my son or daughter ends up the same way if they're, in this, if they're walking with them one day, right? And then there's a big one in our community, which is anti-black dating preferences. Yeah, yeah. Or at yeah. least anti-black marrying preferences. Like you might date, but you won't marry a black person. Or you won't even, like, you'll just stay away from black people in general because you know your family would never accept that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and- and that, like in in my family, I've actually seen seen that because um, I I have a cousin who um, she's 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 born and brought up in Manchester in UK, and she actually she fell in love with a British black guy. And mm-hmm. uh, my aunt at the time, um, and I was not born. This was I think a couple few years before I was born. Um, my aunt, I think she she was finding it extremely hard to accept it. Uh, because of all these uh, biases that she had she just could not like and of course my cousin didn't care shout out to her uh, because she because she understood that this is this doesn't make sense and it's not reason enough to not be with the person who she loves and who would make her happy and she went ahead and she married him and I think I I I, I found out about it because I think around like when I was 11 or 12 mm-hmm. um my niece and nephew, uh, my cousin was bringing, you know, bringing them to Bangladesh for the first time uh, with her kids. Um, the older one, who's my nephew, he was around my age. So I remember that, you know, the, the kids came and we're all like, you know, my, my sisters and I were also like, oh, I'm 11. My older sister's like we're 14. The younger one's eight or four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all young. So we just see like two of our, like another two kids come in our house and they were my, they were living with us for a few weeks and mm. we were just so excited because they were like, Oh, like their family. And we were all, we were also excited. Yeah. By the they're different than us. I mean, we saw that it's not something that was being hidden. Like yeah. news, that they're mm-hmm. half black. And um, I remember my nieces, my cousin would be doing my niece's hair and we'd be just so like, we'd be like, Oh my God, that's so pretty because, and mm. you know, it, it, it just was one of those things. We never saw them as, you know, like, we recognized and we saw the difference in our skin color, but we mm-hmm. never saw that as be, being a difference in being a human being. Yeah. You know? I like that you said that, like you, you recognize that they were different, like that they did have a different race because that's an argument that's going around. Like you can't be colorblind, right? Like you, you can't yeah. just say that I don't see color. Like you have to recognize that these are, they're different from me. Their skin color is different. They've had different struggles because of that skin color, but at the same time, yeah. we're all humans and we have to give each other equal just equality. Right. Yeah, 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 and and I I think that you know uh, just just seeing that you know and I remember and to me to to us at least they were just like family so it didn't really matter they're black or mm. but or whatever but I'm sure the aunties cared. <laughs> oh 
oh, I've heard stories uh, mm. about what my cousin had to go through. And yeah. even after marriage, I mean, it was, it, it's been difficult for a lot of family members to even accept that. And I think mm. later, around, this is around like two, three years ago, I was having a conversation with my mom and separately with my mom and dad, because, you know, I was, I was thinking, especially with my dad, I was making an argument that, you know, you no one plans to fall in love with a person. It just happens. Yeah. You know, you don't see the color of the skin because why, why would it matter if that person makes you happy? And I remember my mom was telling me that, you know, that uh, a lot of the family members had a lot of bias and just because mm. of what in the biases that we have yeah, in our South Asian community. But I remember she said that, you know, at the end of the day, she's my cousin. She's so happy. My mom was like, she's so happy. And, you know, because she tells my, she was telling my mom that, you know, her husband is a great husband and he's a great father. So my mom was like, what? That's, isn't that the most important thing? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, I remember, so I think it was a few days ago, I was talking to my mom that I was telling her we we're going to re- record this episode. And I was, <laughs> you know, asked, bringing up this conversation about my cousin. And she's like, yeah, like she, even she was saying that I think in the last few years, she was saying that um, she thought that in America and in the Western world, um, black people were getting treated better. Because she actually said that, oh, you know, Obama got elected. So I thought that things were getting much better. So mm-hmm. but she was shocked to see see like this whole the whole nine minute death and the whole yeah with George like she was she couldn't believe it because she's like yes a lot of in our community we have biases but you know we thought the world was getting better I mean we saw having a a black family member Mm. you know we saw that this color of your skin doesn't mean less any less in any aspect right Mm. yeah I like that you said that your mom was saying the most important thing is that he's a like good family man and he's nice to her because that's a bias that I think is very deeply ingrained in the South Asian community that black men are rough or oh, they're uh, or they're like they probably aggressive. aggressive. Yeah, that's the word. Like they're aggressive or rough and they, they're not family men. Like, because once again, this goes back to systematic oppression because many black families, they grow up in a single parent household because the father is either incarcerated or shot or because of some reason the families are broken up. Right. And that's also not because that's a tendency of black people because the system has created it like that. Yeah. has caused that to occur that so many kids grow up without fathers or grow up with single parents yeah. so it's like they have this like bias in them that like these are not family men so that mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the bias that we put in ourselves yeah 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 and in general it's like these are just like simple examples but there's so much bias in in um minds of south asians like i remember when i was dating started dating my boyfriend he he has he's friends with many black people right so um, one of my family members actually said like oh he's friends with so he has so many black friends I see like what if he's like them and I was like what does that even mean like that's uh, such a rude thing to say yeah you're insulting his friends you're insulting a group of people for no fucking reason like yeah. I don't get it like and this is from obviously from a South Asian family member so yeah. it's it's just sad the stuff that I hear from our community and yeah, yeah we have to we have to like stand up against it I think many times we just like we don't want to engage with the family like we don't want to cause a scene for no reason but it's like why you do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and i think yeah like even if you think about it the biggest biggest thing i think about us south asian or brown people that a lot of the world knows about is bollywood right yeah and the the bias and the hypocrisy that is in bollywood right and yes. how uh if 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 you even look at recently there was a lot of like lack of awareness amongst bollywood celebrities and Bollywood superstars <laughs> and actress and what about Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And I think Dara and I we, we 
like you know we we watch Bollywood movies we are yeah we watch a lot <laughs> we were very disappointed we were quite disappointed actually because yeah we we were quite disappointed because what we realized is there's a lot of selective active activism done by a lot of these Bollywood celebrities oh, yes. because if you go back and they're if, clueless and, sorry and they're clueless yes <laughs> they're literally clueless but go on <laughs> but no like you know even if like the biggest Bollywood celebrity that the whole world knows about is Priyanka Chopra right and she's mm-hmm. great I mean for sure she did she posted one post about Black Lives Matter sure uh but you know she did ads multiple ads a couple few years ago uh for skin lightening creams yeah you know and if you if, if if people actually look at bollywood actresses and even actors most of them are fair skinned yeah. there is no dark-skinned actress the whole idea is as an actress you have to be fair skinned to be successful yeah. and mm-hmm. even like uh, i think it was last year that a movie came out uh and there uh one of the leading actresses she was playing the role of a darker skinned girl mm-hmm. they didn't even cast a darker skinned actress and trust me within this population there are yes, millions like potential who can give auditions for that mm-hmm. but the leading actress she's fair skinned she actually darkened her face with makeup to, for that role and like you and know in the, the interview she justified it yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's the thing that makes me the most angry about bollywood celebrities it's like I I enjoy their I enjoyed their like their movies and everything, but it's like every time I listen to an interview where an interviewer asks them a question about an important societal issue or something like that, it's like their responses are just so so bad. It's so generic. It's clear they have no idea what they're talking about. It's clear that they don't like they're very successful and they always talk about how hard they work and how they made it so far and how they hone their craft and everything. But it's like. What is the point of being a citizen in this like world if you don't know what's happening? And some of these questions are very related to their own country, and they still don't know how to answer. Yeah, yeah. especially because of how influential they are, right? And exactly. if, if for Indians, Bollywood is a lot of Bollywood mm. celebrities are like gods. So if you yeah. have that platform as a Bollywood superstar, Bollywood actor, yeah. actor, whatever, like why would you not advocate for Black Lives Matter more? Exactly. Or as and there are black people in India. There are black people in India and they are discriminating against. There's been so many articles that say like India is one of the most racist countries against mm. black people. And like, yeah. I'm not saying that these are articles that have said that. There's facts behind it, right? Yeah. So um so like this is a definitely an issue that is in your country. You know, on top of that, like going back to colorism, the cat system, Dalits, like you can't deny that there's ingrained like like racism against skin yeah. color, right? Yeah. 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 Whether it's racism or whether it's like against skin color, you have a huge problem in India with that. And it's like the lack of awareness amongst the celebrities, like I was saying, that's what really pisses me off because um many of them during this time they've chosen to post hashtag all lives matter on their, yeah. on their Instagram. And it's like that was like you have the internet, Google, darling. like you open Instagram and the first thing you type in black lives matter like one of the things you'll see is like how inappropriate it is to say all lives matter in the situation and like the reason that the volume celebrities were doing this is because there was an elephant which was um, kind of animal abuse right and so to in in trying to say that as well as human lives as well as black lives animal lives matter as well and that's why they said hashtag all lives matter kind of saying that along with humans yeah. animal rights animal lives matter too but like the timing Forget the timing. In general, you shouldn't even say all lives matter. Like, do you not have Google? Like, yeah. no, that you can't say this. Stuff? Yeah, it's like it's it's like that's the thing, right? They're yeah. they're literally just like just like that Asian American cop who turned away and didn't look at George yeah. 
was dying. Similarly, these Bollywood celebrities, they're like, hey, I'm not dark skinned. Um, this doesn't give me any uh, PR. Why should I like go touch topics in, that are in my country, not exactly. you know, colorism, cost system? Mm-hmm. Why should I do that? Like, don't, right? And I think this, this is this, the ultimate result of this implicit bias and trying to be model minorities within our South Asian community. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is what leads us to not stand up against injustice and inequality that is experienced by communities that aren't our own, which is mm-hmm. particularly the Black community, right? Exactly, yeah. So like right now, what we as non-Black people of color, what we have to do is help Black people, is to support their cause, is to do whatever we can to make sure racial inequality is not a thing anymore, to abolish inequality, essentially. So what can we do as non-Black people of color, you know, our fellow South Asians, our fellow Asians, what can we do to get rid of this implicit bias and help? So I think it starts firstly with, you know, on an individual level like mm-hmm. each of us what can we do right the change starts with you and uh, as cliched as it one as it sounds like you know be the change that you want to see so i think it's important that we first recognize the implicit bias that we do have and recognize that the struggle of black people is on a whole different level than what we have gone through because what they have gone through is centuries of enslavement centuries of struggle and it's a lot worse than what we have seen. And especially in uh, Western societies, it's, a, it's just a lot worse for them as minorities. Yeah. And I think that it's important that as South Asians, we educate ourselves about the history of Black people. And that's what I think we were trying to do in an episode today. Uh, you know, we didn't want it to be a lot of history. That's why we kept it brief. But I, we thought it was important that we go through uh, the, black, the struggle of Black people in the U.S. and then talk about model minority myth because it's important that we, you know, give that information to our listeners so because it's not information that a lot of people are probably yeah. reading or has come across as much uh, on a detailed level right yeah I think um, like history knowing history is so important because like many people think that this is a momentary thing that right now mm-hmm. this is happening but unless you understand the history behind police brutality then you're not going to understand why some people are outraged yeah 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 yeah, and I and I think that you know once once you know and once you learn about it, I think it's also important that you know we have those conversations with our fellow peers, our families, and educate mm-hmm. them too. You know, like start the change at home. Like you know, have oh. those conversations with your mom or dad or sisters yeah. or brothers. Right, talk about it with them. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, like don't stop making these individual efforts that Marsha was just talking about because. Black Lives Matter is in the headlines headlines right now, but you know there are so many other issues in the world. There's there's different things that are going to keep popping up in your feed, and it's not going to be the headline all the time. But you don't you can't just stop there because that's what's called performative allyship. If you're just sharing things because it's a trend, that yeah. just means you're doing it because you're following a trend and because it maybe internally makes you feel good. But the truth of the matter is that that hashtag in the black square that's just a momentary thing, just like well, racism. Yeah. Even sharing like you know like. The, the receipts of your donation and everything yeah. like it's a continuous process yeah that didn't sit right with me yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but, but yeah like just like racism is not a momentary thing police brutality is not a momentary thing it's not just george floyd support and allyship and op- like it's not a advocacy essentially allyship and advocacy it's not a momentary thing like it's something that you have to continue with like, you have to keep learning you have to you have to challenge the ideas that you learn you have to like do your own research and you have to just Keep showing up. When they need you, show up. When they don't need you, educate yourself. 
yeah keep showing up i think that's that's well put sarah and i think yeah. that you know you might wonder that why why bother because you know i'm brown this is not my issue mm-hmm. you know like i'm not black it's not part like just keep my blinders on but here's the thing it's at the end of the day it's a matter of another human being and this brings into question what you believe in, what, what you believe in and what your principles are. Because if you think quality applies only to you and only to certain communities and maybe not to the black community, then you're being hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite, right? And remember that there is racism within our community too. So at the end of the day, you might think it's not your issue, but it is just because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand that the movement by black people, civil rights movement, that has allowed non-black people of color to have a life in the western societies and at the end of the day if they have you know moved marched ahead with the mantle to help people of color establish themselves in western societies know that if their Mm. community can be treated like this we can be next you know well this is not the time to sort of keep those blinders on especially if you are especially if if it's the millennials right i think millennials and gen z's are get becoming more informed and more educated mm-hmm. and i think it's for us to help our parents generation and maybe even our grandparents to have those conversations and you know talk that hey you know what all life matter and all that crap no not right now because yeah. <laughs> they don't know a lot of yeah. people a lot of people you know what Zara has surprised me is a lot of people actually didn't know the history of slavery in the u.s mm-hmm. uh, as much with like, the textbooks yeah me. exactly and i think it, it, it so you know a lot of people are just sort of like their their eyes are just, just, just they're just finally learning and it's great mm-hmm. that you're learning but as zara mentioned it's not a trend it's yeah. a continuous process yeah exactly and the thing is like black people are going to show up for you when you need it too right yeah. like we're as i said all minorities are struggling there's there's inequality among many groups but obviously the scale is larger for black people but you know they have experience in this so when it comes your turn they're going to come help you too white Luther king helped you and you know remember hassan minhaj you said you were cc to the civil rights movement (laughs) and you were through the immigration act like you're going to be cc to all of the equalities that are achieved by black people and heck black people are starting the conversation on colorism in your society as well our society sorry in our society as well (laughs) like we, we always talk about colorism but we don't always address it the way that we have been addressing it now we're literally debating it now like yeah. we're mad at Bollywood celebrities. Like we always did, but maybe in a silent way. But black people have started that conversation in you. Like this once again, they've paved the way. So yeah. just show up and those individual efforts are very important for you to show up. Because black people don't need you to educate them. Like you need to educate yourself and your community. Yeah. And um and the one thing about community, I know there's been quite a few debates about whether or not to educate your community. And uh, like you were saying, Maisha, like I think it's very important to communicate to educate your community because like they received a formal education i would say they yeah. didn't receive like right now because we're in the age of information we can google things we can fact check things we're not just getting that surface level information like we're actually digging into stuff that's never been put in history books which our parents didn't have so them knowing this is important because they are the shopkeepers of this of of many of our stores and gas stations and groceries and whatnot like they are the attendants they are the cashiers they are the people who are raising your grandchildren maybe so like what they say how they behave when you see black people like it's important so I still think it's important to talk to your elders 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 and whatnot even if you might think they're old they're not going to change but like they are nurturing and they are dealing with black people right 
and I think it's, it's important to address the casual racism, right? Like mm-hmm. change generational narratives. Like yeah. next time an auntie, like you know, like in our South Asian community, this is extremely common. An auntie or uncle is telling that you're kala, which is uh, in Hindi or Urdu that means like black yeah. or in Bengali shamla you know ask them that okay what is the problem with that what is the problem if I am dark skin right because that's yeah. what they're referring to that you're darker skin or if they say that you're gora which in Hindi or Urdu means you're fair or yeah. forsha which in Bengali means fair mm-hmm. ask them that why is that a good thing because you, they usually say that in a like it's a compliment you know yeah. so it's important that you try having constructive conversation and we know that it won't be easy but you've got to try mm-hmm. because letting these small mistakes slip through the cracks is yeah. what perpetuates the implicit bias and I guarantee they don't even know the answer to that question because I have asked so many aunties why do you say that why do you say I'm prettier than my sister because what I'm they skin? they're just like no I'm nay, which means no just just because like reason just saying they don't even know why they think fair people are pretty i think that they've been treated like that so they yeah. think that okay you know we live through that so the next generation has to sort of but that's the thing right break the generational narrative and mm. you know at the end of the day what zara said a lo- previous generations a lot of them honestly speaking hard it'll be hard conversations and you and you want to have them constructively because you don't want it to you don't want them to feel like they're attacked because at the end of the day if they feel like they're being attacked they will not want to learn right but i think this is where it's important that even if they might not entirely agree with you the fact that you're even having that conversation and showing to them that this is not right and you stand against racism that tells them that that is it is not okay to say that you're dark skin or Mm -hmm. why are you dark skin or oh oh you're fair skin you know like all this obsession yeah. like at some point they realize that oh because this person is here it's not okay for me because she's made a point that it's not okay to say that you know yeah. so these are deep-rooted biases that you know because of our colonial history and of course our internalized trauma from that or even the pressure in the in the south asian diaspora in western society the pressure to be a model immigrant right yeah. so it's sort of like to win this rat race uh, created by a system that is by the way was not created in mind for for the minorities uh but know that if you're being a spectator we're buying into this narrative you know and we're sort of like uplifting and sort of like perpetuating white privilege at Mm. the expense of black people and this will hurt all people of color in the end and that is not equality no not at all yeah yeah so also going back to what you said before like learning the history of things i think that's really important and not just like the history of slavery but the history of certain harmless things or things that we think are harmless for example, mm-hmm. the N-word, like, it's oh. commonly known that realm people like to say the oh. N-word because it makes them feel good or, or they like to kind of emulate or, better word, appropriate Black culture in the sense like their music, their dressing style. And it's one thing if you appreciate and you stand up for them, but it's, a, it's appropriation if you're just doing it for your benefit. But when it comes time to support Black people, you're not there, that's appropriation. So it's kind of known, we're kind of accused of doing such things. So I think it's important that you know the history N-word was a word, derogatory slur that was used during slavery, during the times of slavery. So that is not something you are allowed to say. Like, if, yeah, to, if they want to say it, if Black people want to say it, if they have every right to change the definition of that meaning to their, to fit their community now, well, we don't have a right to say that word. Mm-hmm. We want to change the meaning of that word for ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah for, for sure. And then another thing maybe is like to stop fetishizing Black men in general. Because I know a lot of like groups of girls like to sit around and talk about how like black men have have big dicks or blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that's like you don't consider them marriage material, but it's okay for you to talk about their body parts like that. 
that's not fair. Like these yeah. are this sounds like harmless things, but even even I, even the argument for like oh like black women probably have big or they're thick gases or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. And it's yeah. it's not fair. It's not mm-hmm. fair to hold that stereotype that to to sort of like feed whatever your thoughts are. But yeah. you know, then you don't think that they're marriage worthy. You know, those those very antiquated thoughts. It's it's not okay. And um, uh, coming back to like the N word, right? I think it's 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 sort of disappointing that we see that today. And mm-hmm. uh, this is where once again our listeners like what Jazara just gave you, like literally in two sentences, the history of it, right? Like know that that is not an our word. It's not our word. We don't yes. have ownership over that, exactly. period, right? Yeah. Um, and I think another trend that went around recently is with some makeup artists um, to show like they're like, oh, they stand with Black Lives Matter and they, they care about that. Um, they were actually sort of like carving their face out into like darker shades mm-hmm. of foundation and coloring it and I just well, <laughs> it's so stupid. Why? Yeah. <laughs> like once again, they don't have Google. <laughs> like I don't know how you know th- how you don't know this is inappropriate. Exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to think back to the history of this, right? Like blackface, minstrel shows. Like many people don't know that this is why it's not okay to paint your face black because people have done it to mock black people. Yeah. Previously. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that it it is it is in this day and age. You, it is okay. It is not okay to be ignorant because of the amount yeah. of information that we have, because of our access to, you know, the access to information we have courtesy of internet. You mm-hmm. cannot be ignorant. Like if you come and you know you say that, oh, I don't know what blackface means and stuff. It's just like, are you, are you serious? Like, yeah, like what the fuck, right? Mm-hmm. That like, it's just not acceptable anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely not acceptable anymore. And like, I think a big one is that you you have to know the history, not just of slavery of civil rights movement and then the history of things like the n-word but you also have to know the history of corporations and how they've reacted previously because believe it or not like corporations have a huge because they have the money they have a huge influence in politics and politics has a huge influence in the ways of lives of people so you know you have to know your facts about corporations and brands and you accordingly will support them or not support them because financially not supporting them gets them to change their or at least on the outside change their views of something and when they change their views on something, their their consumers automatically fall for the marketing campaigns and think that this is wrong. So if they all of a sudden start saying police brutality is wrong, a big corporation, then their consumers are going to be like, wow, that's great marketing for why police brutality is wrong. It's true. Police brutality is wrong. Mm -hmm. Corporations do affect many things. So, you know, like know your corporations, know your brands, and accordingly boycott slash support slash don't support. Like, it's good to know. Yeah. yeah, and then and, things that you supported before and you found out don't are against your principles. It's okay to boycott them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, right? There are so many resources out there for yeah. a lot of people. Like you know, maybe there are a lot of books. And right now, in the last few weeks, we've been I've been seeing that you know on Instagram, there's literally lists of mm. Netflix series, podcasts, uh, books uh, that are being shared. You know, that specifically talk about the struggle of Black people and. Uh, 
at the, at the end of the day, whatever mean works, whatever medium works for you, right? If you're a visual yeah. person, there are a lot of Netflix series. If you listen to podcasts, which we hope you do, because we have our podcast here, uh, and you, you know, there are a lot of great podcasts, right? And there are books. And if you're if you're a reader, if you like reading, then there are a lot of books. And we'll share some of those resources in the next few days on our Instagram stories. So please keep an eye out. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you have Google. You literally can read articles written by Black academics, black thinkers, black historians, and black mm-hmm. experts at the end of the day. And it, they can be American, they can be Canadian, they can be uh, European, but there are a lot of articles, a lot of analysis pieces, a lot of interviews. There is a lot of information out there. So all you have to do is literally, you know, spare a few seconds, mm-hmm. shut off your Facebook app and Instagram app and open the Google app and <laughs> search, literally yeah. spare. Yeah. 10 minutes a day or search the hashtag on Instagram and Facebook. Oh yeah. There you yeah. go. There you if go. That's your yeah. preferred method of search. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And yeah. There's so much. Thanks to the whole 10 slidey thing. There's lots of information out there on Instagram. Yeah. 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 I think above all, you need to support in an active way. Like yeah. yes, educating yourself is great and everything. And that's important as hell, but it's really important that you are actionable, you know, like, Number one way to be actionable is to protest. Yeah, not everybody can protest, not everybody's able to, but if you can, protesting is a huge way. Revolutions and massive changes have occurred due to protest. There is huge strength in numbers, in diversity, and in unity. Just black people out there marching and protesting is not going to solve the problem. There has to be diversity in there. Yeah, so that, so that, because then it becomes like an, sorry, Zara said that, right? Like not everybody can protest, but if yeah. you take part in it, right? Even if you're posting, at the end of the day, when people in power, mm-hmm. like your government officials, your politicians, when they see that non-Black people are also protesting, that's yeah. when they realize this is a everybody's problem, you yeah, know? Everybody's petitions, right? Like if they yeah. see the signature exactly. on the petition, numbers matter, diversity matters, and unity matters. So mm-hmm. sign petitions as well as protests. Those are some actionable things you can do. And along with that, if you're not protesting and you see protesters out in the streets that need help, help them. Like be be a model citizen, be a model minority, right? At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. This is where you should be a model minority. Yeah, this is where you should be a model minority. So, you know, I'm just going to give you two examples of in recent times of model minorities that I would have, that I would say are model minorities. There was this Bangladeshi restaurant owner in Minneapolis, his name was Wuhan Islam, and he he lost his restaurant in the fires that were occurring due to the protests. And instead of being like, these thugs ruined my restaurant, he came on television and he said that life, I'm gonna quote here, life is more valuable than anything else. We can rebuild a building, but we cannot give this man, aka George Floyd, back to his family. You know, and that's such a powerful statement to come from a Bangladeshi or a South Asian um, or just a minority for someone to see that on TV that like, okay, there's somebody out there who's supporting this because it's right. Like it's, it speaks volumes. And then another person was uh, Rahul Dubey. He provided refuge to 70 protesters who were trying to escape the police. And it's simple act, but like leaving 70 people stranded outside to lead to more violence is not helping, but to help they were them. Getting, and they were getting tear gas. So exactly. Like yeah. Yeah, so protecting them so they can continue to fight for their people is also an actionable thing. So yeah, yeah those are two, two, two ways you can show actionable steps. And then on top of that, you've probably seen this everywhere on Instagram as well, which is to donate to organizations such as Black Lives Matter. Um, there's many other organizations. We can, we can create a list of different organizations that you can donate to, but you can also feel free to Google because there's many resources out there. 
So basically organizations that are helping black people, that are helping black people in the criminal justice system, with housing, with poverty, with, um, and protesting and all these organizations, right? And then on top of that, hashtag amplify black voices, you've seen that around as well. So that's very important because black artists, especially female and black trans artists, they're very underrepresented. Inclusions, artists, um, podcasts, even uh, authors, like they need to be represented. They're not out there enough. We're not seeing them in our feeds. We're not seeing them enough. Like, and because they're not, because they're not visible to us, we feel like there isn't a lot of success by black people in that field, but there is. So we just need to search them, we need to support them, we need to share their work, we need to purchase their work. Yeah, like monetary support as well as sharing on social media, right? And having those conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, we need to understand that, you know, that nobody's saying that, you know, to all our, like to our South Asian community, like nobody's saying that, we like one person one south asian person has to change the world or force fix the problem no like mm-hmm. do what you can do best you know and you yeah. can start that by educating yourself and the people around you just even if you do that that will have literally like a multi like it's, it's going to multiply right because yeah. you, you inform and you uh, share and have discussions with two people those two people will have discussions with two more people and yeah. it goes on right it's like a chain reaction exactly. right so that's the whole point that at the end of the day it's important for us non-black people of color and specifically we uh zara and i we were talking about our experience today so we're addressing more this more to south asian community because we're south asians that Mm -hmm. it's important that we are an ally but more importantly an advocate you know because we have to make sure that equality is a priority for everyone right Mm -hmm. uh at the end of the day equality is not a pie that you know Mm -hmm. uh, if some other group has one piece it means you get one less piece no you have to understand that black people's struggles have been much worse. I mean, my all minority struggle, but yeah. their struggles have been much worse. Educate yourself. If, if, if you, I know that I think a, a lot of people sometimes feel like it's a bit uncomfortable to sort of face the reality that, oh, you beware bystanders. And mm-hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to feel that, right? Because it doesn't, yeah. it does not feel great, honestly. But here's the thing. You can either hide from it, run away from it, like that age, like Tao, that Asian American cop, looked away but he will go down in history as the he is an accomplice he was charged yeah. for that as well right because exactly, yeah. you're standing next to it you're a bystander and you didn't do anything to stop mm-hmm. the murder right so you can either live like that like looking away and you know what the next generation uh, coming uh, up in the south asian they're gonna ask you they're gonna ask you for sure and they're gonna then tell mm-hmm. you hey i'm like our great grandparents you actually had access to internet so why didn't you google and find out and you know like spread the right information mm-hmm. right so if you really think about it that it's important for us to advocate right now and educate ourselves and face uncomfortable reality but you know what get over that so that we can be helpful to the black community and most importantly know that it is our responsibility to educate ourselves and it is our responsibility to exercise that trait that makes us human which is empathy Mm -hmm. and it is not the black community it is not their responsibility to educate us it is not their responsibility they've been marginalized they've been uh you know oppressed because of the system it's not they're, they're not the problem the system is the problem so the implicit bias that we have it shouldn't be the bias against black people it should be a bias against the system that allows white privilege to be uplifted at the expense of minorities and especially black and indigenous people mm-hmm. so you have to empathize with these people and realize that at the end of the day the struggle of black people as Hassan Minhaj says, <laughs> their struggles and their successes 
other minorities get CC too. So yeah, yeah. Um, good, good speech there, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> a bit long there. <laughs> no, it's all good. But yeah, you basically just summarized the whole episode there. So that's essentially what we were trying to say. But you were mentioning pie, and that reminded me: go support Black businesses as well, including restaurants, because their food is delicious. Oh, so good. Go South Asians, if you want flavor that's not our South Asian flavor, this is where you need to go. Go find black restaurants and other businesses, their jewelry, their clothing, everything's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Go find them and go support them. And, you know, the U.S., going back to leaving the whole food system right now, but um, going back to our episode, the U.S., um, and, and Maisha mentioned this earlier in the episode, that you might feel that this is not relevant to you because it's an American problem. But it's even if it's an American problem, which it's not, it is a global problem, even if it was just an American problem, it's still important for all of us to understand it and all of us to know it and all of us mm-hmm. to empathize with it and all of us all of us to act on it because the u.s sets a precedent for everything you know the, we we kind of hold the u.s as as the progressive west as people we look up to the people who pass the laws first and then we follow and what they do affects every other country in the world and affects the perception of a certain issue at mm-hmm. hand yeah and just try to learn you know and don't don't try to condemn people who are just learning I know so we, we, we got excited a few times here and we were like, it's, you can't be ignorant. It's true. You can't be ignorant in this day and age. But when engaging with people who are trying to learn, who maybe did not know the history, try to be compassionate, try to be empathetic, try to help them rather than put them down. Yeah. So that's all for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, COVID-19 is still a thing. So don't forget to stay safe. And yeah, that's all. Bye-bye.